The Old Testament reading for the 18th Sunday after Trinity is from Deuteronomy chapter 10. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples, as you are this day. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart, and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe, he executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him, and by his name you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God, who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. This is the word of the Lord. The epistle is from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I give thanks to my God always for you, because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Please rise the table for the reading of the Holy Gospel. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 22nd chapter. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. He said to them, how is it then that David, in the spirit, calls him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. 
This is the gospel of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm sure that you've heard quite a bit about the Pharisees over the years. If nothing else, I believe that I've spoken about them for the last two weeks, and it's not going to stop today. But I'm guessing that you haven't heard as much about the Sadducees. The Sadducees were quite different from the Pharisees in several ways. For one thing, they didn't hold to the same traditions that the Pharisees and the scribes did. They did keep the Mosaic and Oral Law, but they didn't believe in things like angels, the resurrection of the dead, or even in the Messiah. In the reading directly before this one, we learn that the Sadducees were also against Jesus. They tried to catch him in a trick question about the resurrection. They asked Jesus who a woman would be married to in the resurrection if she had married more than one man here on earth. And he informs them that in the resurrection, people aren't going to be married or given in marriage. He then goes on to address the real issue at hand, their unbelief in the resurrection. Jesus' response to this is quite telling. And we're going to go on a bit of a lengthy linguistic tangent here, so please stick with me. Jesus uses what God says to Moses at the burning bush to prove the resurrection to the Pharisees. Jesus quotes Exodus and then adds on to it, He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. The question then is, how does Exodus 3 prove his point? And the answer is that the word am is in the present tense. God didn't say that he was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Even though those three men had died some 400 years ago at the time of Moses. And so, Jesus uses the word am, specifically the present tense of the word am, to prove the resurrection. And perhaps somewhat surprisingly to us, because we're not very big on grammar and stuff nowadays, surprisingly, the Sadducees have no retort. They actually take that, and they're not able to come up with a valid response. To complete our tangent, then, am is just another version of the word is. And let's look at another Bible verse that is often hotly contested. Take, eat, this is my body. And later, in the same chapter, take, eat, this is my blood. Have you ever doubted why we put so much emphasis on that little word is in the words of institution? Just remember that Jesus proved the resurrection 
using that same word. But now let's come back to our gospel reading for today. The Pharisees hear about how Jesus had used the word am to silence the Sadducees. And for some reason, they think that they can do better. Because the Pharisees and the Sadducees did not like each other very much. So, the Pharisees get together and they start plotting. And they come up with a plan as our text continues. And please note before I start reading here that the Bible verses are going to sound a little bit different than what you heard because these are my own translation. So, And one from among them, a lawyer, questions him, contempting him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he declared to him, You will love the Lord your God with your whole heart and with your whole soul and with your whole mind. This remains the greatest and first commandment. But a second is like it. You will love your neighbor as yourself. In these two commandments, the whole law hangs, also the prophets. Here, surprise of surprises, the Pharisees are again attempting to entangle Jesus in his words. They were trying to trap him. They were testing him or tempting him to see if he would give the right answer, which he does. If you ever wanted to know what the greatest commandments are, well, there they are. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And the second, just for good measure, love your neighbor as yourself. This was, of course, the correct answer, even according to the Pharisees' standards. So their opening volley failed, and so they gathered together to start plotting again. But before we hear about Jesus following up with his own attack, let's reflect on these two great commandments. How are you doing following these two commandments on which all the law and the prophet hang? These are the two most important commandments for us to follow. Jesus just told us that. So how's that going for you? Can you say that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind? The answer is, of course, no. And, but if you think that you have, then how about the next one? Have you loved your neighbor as yourself? Let's even take it literally. Have you loved every single person who has ever lived close to you just as much as you love yourself? Again, the answer is, of course you haven't. You can't. You're not able to follow these two commandments. So, let's see, because Jesus knows this, let's see where Jesus takes the Pharisees after he gives them these two commandments. As the Pharisees gather together, Jesus questions them, saying, What do you think concerning the Christ? Whose son does he remain? Where does Jesus go after hitting the Pharisees with the two greatest commandments, which no one can follow except for himself? 
He goes to the Christ. He goes to himself. Where should you go when you realize how powerless you are to fulfill the two greatest commandments? You should go to the Christ. Go to Jesus. Remember what he did. Remember why he came. He died on the cross because he knows that you can't follow those commandments. He died in order to give you the way to be with him and his father forever. But unfortunately, the Pharisees weren't ready to hear that yet. The Pharisees were still working on trying to kill him. Therefore, Jesus is going to try and get them to realize who the Christ really is. The Pharisees responded to Jesus' question. They say to him, of David. He says to them, How then does David in the Spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, You must be seated at my right until I place the enemies of you under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And not one of them had power to answer him a word, and no one dared to question him about anything after that day. The Pharisees give their answer. David. And the Christ is indeed of the line of David. However, he is not the Christ's true father. The Pharisees were thinking that the Christ was primarily a man. They weren't thinking of him in the right terms. Jesus, therefore, corrects them. And he does it publicly, and he does it using scripture and their very own words. Now, you would think that the Pharisees would have to retaliate after that, right? They couldn't just let that stand. But what do they do? How do the Pharisees retaliate? They don't. They can't. You cannot trap God in his own words. That's what both the Sadducees and the Pharisees were trying to do. They were trying to entangle God in his own words. And how often do we see that today? Just think back to our linguistic tangent earlier about communion. How many people, even those who are trying to pass as Christians, try to get around the words that Jesus gives us regarding communion? Think of how people try to get around the words about homosexuality or concerning the sanctity of life, whether that be in the womb or in instances such as assisted suicide or euthanasia of the elderly. Think of how the devil attacked Eve. How did he do it? Did God really say? The devil even tried this on Jesus himself, the word incarnate when he was tempting him. That which is going on right now, people are trying to cast doubt on the word. This has been going on since the fall. 
We know that we aren't supposed to do that, though. We know that we aren't supposed to test the word of the Lord. We heard what happens to those who do that. They get silenced. So then, what are we supposed to do? What does that very word which has called us to be Christians call us to do? The answer comes from our psalm and our Old Testament reading. From our psalm, the sons who are walking, listen to me, fear the Lord's teaching. And from Deuteronomy, now Israel, what does the Lord your God require from your people? From fear of the Lord your God to walk in all his ways and love the Lord your God in all your heart and in all your life. So what are we supposed to do with the word of God? We are supposed to fear him and listen to him. We are supposed to walk in all his ways. We are supposed to love him with all our heart and with all our life. We are not supposed to try and nitpick at his words to get them to fit what we think they should say. That's not how you treat someone who you love and fear. Or at least that's not the way you're supposed to treat someone who you love and fear. That is what unruly children do. And children, yes, all you children who are in the congregation right now talking to you, realize that that is not something that you're supposed to do. Don't try to catch your parents and other authorities in their own words. You know what they mean. Do it. You love them. Don't make them have to jump through hoops to say things in exactly the right way. You wouldn't want people to do that to you, so love them like you love yourself. When Jesus says something, he means it. Even down to the tense that he says it in. That is very true for his commandments, and it is just as true for his promises. This is why he continues to forgive you when you recognize and confess your sins and turn to him for forgiveness. Think about this truth. On the cross, when he said, it is finished, you don't have to worry about whether he really meant that or not. You don't have to worry about whether he meant it figuratively or literally. Jesus means what he says. And you are free to take him at his word. It is truly finished. Your salvation has been accomplished. When Jesus says something, he means it. He means it when he says that you are forgiven and justified. He means it when he says, this is my body and this is my blood. And you are free to trust his word, recognizing that he said exactly what he meant to say, and that he ensured that his word, which declares you saved, will stand true forever. Now may the peace which passes all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.